become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that if you, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. If you remain standing for our opening prayer, let's do that now. Father, we thank you for the word that you give us here in Romans chapter 6. These words that were written a long time ago to people that are long dead, and yet your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to pierce soul and spirit and speak to us tonight. I pray that you would give us ears to hear. And Lord God, I also, I, I join my voice to, even as Pastor Brian mentioned earlier, begging you for mercy, for compassion, for your power to intervene in the country of Ukraine tonight. Lord, do a miracle. And I pray that all the talking heads that we hear on TV and all their prognostications about what must happen and what will happen, Lord, show yourself to be the one who rules history. And intervene, God, in a way that drops the jaws of those onlookers in the world and says, this is a miracle. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You guys can go ahead and be seated. And uh, I'm glad that Pastor Brian mentioned his sabbatical to you guys tonight. I keep telling him, like, you got to tell people, you got to tell people. Uh, it's going to be coming up beginning of May. We're going to miss you, Brian, but I'm really happy, and I know the congregation is, that you'll get that chance to recharge. We love you, man. So, guys, I uh, forgot to say this before I introduced the text tonight, but what I wanted to say before I actually read the scripture was that this passage is, is, is sneaky difficult. Coming into this week, I was like, oh, Romans 6, you know, we've talked about it a lot already. It's going to be sort of straightforward. And then reading it, it was like, whoa, this is hard. What is it about this passage, if you had to guess, you would say makes it so difficult? What did you hear in there that was, I don't know, maybe I'd say charged language? Well, yes, but the thing that I'm thinking of mostly, Joy, is what I heard from the back, and that is slavery comes up a lot in this passage. Uh, by my counting, which was early in the week, so I might have miscounted, but I think seven or eight different times that we have the word slavery, we have the word slaves, we have the word enslaved. And that is problematic for a few reasons. Here's the first. For those of us that grew up in the United States of America, we know, even if you didn't grow up in America, you know that the history of this country is stained by the institution of slavery. 
The history of the church is stained by the institution of slavery and the complicity and that wickedness and sin. And the ramifications of slavery still, hundreds, not hundreds, but 150 years later, well, more than that, 175, still echo in our society today. And so I I say that that's problematic because here I am as a believer, um, I'm reading through the book of Romans, this beautiful exposition of my new relationship in Christ. I'm united to him. I'm redeemed in Jesus. And then I read that that is positively compared to slavery. That's jarring. And I expect it's even more jarring for some of my brothers and sisters in the church whose families were impacted by slavery in ways way more extensive than my family ever was. Multiple times in the passage, we're told, we're slaves to righteousness. Later on in verse 22, we're slaves to God himself. And even though, I I don't know if you picked up on this, but there's one moment where Paul says in the middle, he says, listen, I'm writing using human language. He says, I'm not writing in a way that's perfectly expressing the situation, but I'm writing in a way that kind of condescends to your limitations. And I think that's helpful because hopefully it allows us not to be too tripped up over that language. And yet the reality is the Bible is still asking you to conceive of your relationship with God in a way that is super uncomfortable. Especially with the baggage that we bring to this. So that's the first way in which this could be a hard passage. The second way, though, has to do with the way that we think about freedom as Americans. If you were born in this country, freedom is like your favorite word in the whole wide world. It's in your bones. It's in your DNA. You know, I I was talking to the folks up in Paradise this morning. I was like, sometimes you're just driving around and you see somebody that just has a, a bumper sticker that just says freedom. And that's it. And we all get it. We're like, yeah. We love freedom. It's in the the, the roots of who we are as an American people. And yet when we talk about it, more often than not, the freedom we're talking about is a very specifically defined understanding of freedom. It's a freedom that kind of looks like this. It's freedom from any limits, freedom from any constraints, Freedom from anything that would prevent you from doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, and how you want to do it. That's freedom. And the, the, the illustration that I had in my mind this week was like, it's, it's freedom to me is like standing in front of this like giant eternal buffet with every conceivable food there for the taking. And I've got an empty plate and nothing is stopping me from filling my plate up with whatever I want, how much of it I want, even if it's like weird combinations, you know, peanut butter and jelly with mustard on top. I'm free. I can do it. That's our understanding of freedom. But here's the thing. The Bible doesn't speak about freedom like that. Not because that buffet understanding of freedom is is wrong or bad, but because it doesn't exist doesn't. It's a barrage. 
What the Bible tells us is that we as human beings are always controlled by something. We always serve something. Or to use the language that we've been talking about already, we're always a slave to something. And that when we read through this passage, we're not seeing any mention of somebody that's this autonomous chooser, totally uninfluenced and uncontrolled, filling up their plate at the buffet however we want. What we see is an either or. The very beginning of our text, I think it's verse 16, actually says it. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one of whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Either you're a a slave to sin or a slave to obedience. That is obedience to God and his will. There's no third option there. There's no description of the person that stands away from it all, uninfluenced and uncontrolled, choosing how they want. No. It's either this or that. And one of the commentators that I was reading this week, he he makes the point, he says, you read through Romans 6 and all of a sudden you come to this dawning realization that it's not a matter of if we will have a master. It's a matter of which one we're going to choose. That's the Bible's understanding of the condition that we're in. So what that makes me want to ask as a red-blooded American is how is that freedom? How? I mean, Jesus himself says, I'll let you fill in the blank for me. He says, if the Son has set you free, you are you are free indeed. Romans 6 has told us repeatedly, if we are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection, we are free. How is that possible If I'm also being told in the very next breath that I'm a slave, that I have a master, that I'm obedient to that master. How is it possible that I can think of the freedom in the context of simply being transferred from an old master, sin, to a new one, obedience to God? I don't get it. And that's the main question that we're going to grapple with tonight. And that's the main thing that I want us to see from this passage of Romans 6 how it is that we can understand freedom in the way that the Bible wants us to and in a way that fits with this idea of having a new master. I think the the way that we're going to parse it out that's going to be the most helpful for us is the Bible saying, okay, you American believers that have your idea of freedom, I want you to let go of that and I want you to think of freedom like this. First and foremost, it is freedom from something. You have been released from something that held you before. And secondly, you are now free for something new. So freedom from and freedom for, that's how we're going to think about it tonight. You guys still with me? All right, let's get into it. So first, uh, I think I got a new slide for this one, nothing fancy, but just freedom from what? It says up here on the screen. Sin. You guys could preach this part of the sermon for me, or at least if you've been here the last few weeks. This is what we've talked about ad nauseum for the last two Sundays, that in Christ we have been freed from the bondage of sin. 
And when Paul uses this metaphor of the slavery and having a slave master, what he's telling you is that in your old life previously, you had this master of sin that controlled you, that drove you. That your whole life, your decisions, how you behaved was oriented around. And you had the illusion that you were in control, but the reality is you were just slavishly following your temptations, your impulses, your desires. To use the figure I used last week, it was your passions that was driving the car. (laughs) You weren't in control. That was your former way of life. That's how you can think about what it was like before Jesus. But now, in Christ, believing in him, being redeemed by him, sin is your master no more. He is no longer in control of your life. That is over. And at the core of this idea of the freedom of a Christian is that you are people now. It used to be that it was impossible for you not to sin. It dominated your life. But now, it, you live in freedom. You don't have to go back to the old slave master. You don't have to live in bondage. That doesn't have to define you anymore. That's freedom. What you've been freed from. Now, this is such great news for like a bazillion reasons. But the reason that the Bible, well, not the Bible as a whole, but this portion of the Bible really hones in on is that it's good news because sin was a terrible master, an awful slave master. When you obeyed sin, here's what happened to you. You were degraded. You were dehumanized. And you spiraled deeper and deeper into that the longer you went. There was this phrase in um, one of the verses that we read tonight which talks about how when we, we gave ourselves over to lawlessness, it led to more lawlessness. And at first reading that this week, I'm like, it's almost like, you know, Paul was texting and he accidentally like repeated himself. But no, it's purposeful. That one step towards lawlessness and disobedience leads to another step towards lawlessness and disobedience. And another step towards that and deeper and deeper. And I'm on the edge about to fall off here. But that's a great example. Because the reality is the deeper and deeper and deeper you go, the closer and closer you get to the end of it all. Which is what? Death. Here's how bad your old slave master was. It wanted to kill you. And like, it's almost like sin, your master, held you by the hand, walking you closer and closer and closer to the edge of the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Until finally you just walk off. Sin is a terrible master. And the verse that really hammered it home for me this week is an old friend of mine. When I uh, was doing my first read-through of the New Testament when I became a believer in college, I remember getting to this verse and underlining it like 12 times because it resonated so much with me. It's verse 21. It says, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? It's kind of a fancy way to see it or say it, but essentially what Paul's asking is, 
Has sin ever kept its promises to you? The answer is no. And I want to ask you guys. I mean, think. Think about your life and think about times when you have given in to temptation. When you have felt the pull and draw of something that you know is wrong and yet you did it. Did it ever satisfy you in the way you thought it would? Did it ever give you joy in the way that you hoped it would? It doesn't. And that's the thing about sin is that it comes in with all these promises that it will make us feel whole and content. That it will relieve our anxiety or our fear. That it will make our relationships better. That it will give us true happiness. But all that's left after that is a string of empty promises. And every single one of us in here, if we look at the track record of sin in our life, we will see that over and over and over again, it has let us down. So that Paul's able to ask, what fruit did you get from those things that you're now ashamed from? And the anticipated answer is none. Sin is a terrible master. And you guys know it. Deep down in your heart, you know it. Because every time you look back on what the consequence has been of giving into temptation, you've seen the brokenness and emptiness it leaves you with. In that sense, you have all the info you need to fight against the empty promises of sin. What you got to do is next time you feel that siren song promising you the world, say, didn't you promise me the world last week? I don't think you came through on that one. I know, easier said than done. But it's worth saying. And like I told you, it's a verse that I read early on in my Christian walk that grabbed me and I said, yes. I do see the brokenness of sin and how it's just empty promises and a terrible master. So all this to say, freedom in Christ, what it is at its core is the fact that you have been freed from this terrible master. But the other side of it now, let's look what we've been freed for. We've been freed for obedience to God. Or, to kind of use the way I've been speaking previously, we've been freed for obedience to a new good master. And this freedom that we've getting is it, it's transferring us from the, the reign of a terrible master to the reign of a righteous, compassionate, kind, and good master. Verse 22, I believe it's verse 22, says this. Yeah, 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. That front part is what I want you to see. You've been set free from sin, we just talked about that, and now have become slaves of God. This gives you the full picture because when you are released from the bondage of sin, your chains are broken off, you're set free, but what happens next is God doesn't then just throw you out the window and say, fly, fly free, little bird. No. What happens next is he takes you and he puts you in his kingdom, his righteous rule and reign, so now you can be obedient to him. But of course, 
This brings me back to the million-dollar question. How is that freedom? How can I in any sense be understood to be free if I've just been transferred from one slave master to a new slave master? And I think the answer to that question comes from thinking about who you were made to be, how you were designed. So we're going to get an assist here from the beginning of the Bible all the way back, the first page, Genesis chapter 1. Well, that's Genesis 13. These are very thin pages. There we go, Genesis 1. You don't have to flip there. We probably, most of us are familiar to some extent with what's described in those opening statements of Genesis. But one of them is when our first parents, Adam and Eve, were created, they were created in the image of God. What that means is they were created as people to be able to reflect God's character, his righteousness, his goodness. They were his stewards of the earth. And of all the things God made, it is only human beings that he gives this incredible privilege to be his image bearers. He creates them in that way. He designs them in that way. So what that means is that when men and women are acting and living in a way that's obedient to the God that made them, when they're living out their design, when when they're on their way towards the goal and the aim that God, their maker, has created for them, they flourish. They prosper. Or, to use the word that we've been using all night, they're free. That's freedom. For a man or a woman created in the image of God, our greatest expression of freedom is to be who we were created to be. To live in the way we were created to live. And just just to clarify, I did this again last week too. I hope you mean that or you know that what I mean by that is not like uh, living your, your personality type. Or your Myers-Briggs profile. I'm not talking about that. When I say being who you were made to be, what I mean by that is that you are a person living out your calling as an image bearer of God. Obedient to his will and his rule. That's freedom. Think of a train. If we used our knee-jerk American understanding of freedom to think about the, uh, the freedom of a train, we would say that a train is at its most free when it can go in any direction it likes. North, south, east, west, up, down, under the ground, do figure eights. can do whatever. And yet, that's not what a train was built for. The train was built to go from this destination here over to that destination there and the ferry people in between. And for that purpose, a track is built for it to drive on. A track that's constraining, yes, but it lets it live out its purpose. So if a train is on its track and it's going down the coast and all of a sudden it jumps its tracks and and takes a turn and dives into the ocean, we would not say, look at the freedom of that train. We would say that train has malfunctioned. 
The train is at its most free when it is doing the thing it was created to do. Even if that means staying on the track that was built for it because its design, its purpose is in getting from here to there. The track doesn't constrain it or make it less free. It enables it to be the thing it was made to be. And what I'm suggesting to you guys is that when we live in keeping with our calling as image bearers of God, that's not restraining us. That's allowing us to be truly free. What's your destination? We talked about the destination of the train going from over here to over there. What's the destination of a human being? Anybody know? Yes, eternal life. I say yes so excitedly there because that's the exact phrasing that came up in our passage. Another way that maybe we could think about it is the way that the Westminster Shorter Catechism we use here sometimes. The very first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, i.e. eternal life with God. And notice in verse 22, the one that I read before, it says that now you have become slaves of God. The fruit that you get from that leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Sanctification is just a really big fancy word for getting better each day. Each day becoming more and more like Jesus. Each day responding less and less to the temptations to sin. And what that is preparing you for is to have an eternity together with the God who made you. To enjoy him forever. And to live in his blessedness for eons to come. Anything you do that is preparing you for that goal and that is getting you there, that's freedom. That's goodness. That's blessing. And that's why the Apostle Paul is able with a straight face to say, you are free in Christ because now you're a slave to God. That's not contradictory when you think about freedom and the way that the Bible is encouraging you to think about it. So just to review, freedom here is freedom from your old slave master sin and it's freedom for living to God, which is how or what you were made for, how you were designed to live. And there's blessing in that. I'm going to end with a, a riddle. <laughs> it's not really a riddle, but it feels like it at first. And heaven will be totally free. Free in a way that we've never felt before. Freedom will be expressed in all of its fullness when we live in the glory of God and the heavenly places. And yet... Will you be able to sin in heaven? I don't believe so. If you are going to be at your most free when you stand in the presence of God in heaven on those days and yet unable to do something, maybe that's the biggest proof that we have that the freedom of God is not the freedom that we normally in our default knee-jerk reaction, think of.
It's something much better. Because it's real. Let me pray. And we'll sing one final song together. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. The truth will make you free. Jesus, you've told us multiple times about the freedom that you've purchased for us. Freedom that you're giving us. I pray that we would be a church and we would be a people that realize that the freedom that you've given is a freedom that is much better than what we naturally think of. And it's a freedom that's called us to obey for our good. Let us be a people that express that freedom in how we live. Lord, we ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.